Welcome to the Ecom Breakthrough Podcast. Are you ready to unlock the full potential and growth in your business? You've already crossed seven figures in sales, but the challenge is knowing how to take your business to the next level. Join Josh Hadley, an eight-figure e-com business owner and investor, as he interviews highly successful business owners. Get ready, because you're going to learn specific actions you can take today to help your business reach its full potential and leave a lasting impact on the world. Welcome to the Ecom Breakthrough Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Hadley, where I interview the top business leaders in e-commerce. Past guests include Michael E. Gerber, author of The E-Myth, Bradley Sutton, and Kevin King. Today, I'm speaking with Jamie Davidson, the co-founder of AMZ Insiders, and we are going to be talking a lot about how to build your Amazon business faster, make it better, and make it more efficient. This episode is brought to you by Ecom Breakthrough Consulting, where I help seven-figure companies grow to eight figures and beyond. Listen, Jamie, I started my business back in 2015 and grew it to an eight-figure brand in seven years. But I made a lot of mistakes along the way that made the path of getting to eight figures take a lot longer than it needed to. There were times where I had a lot of self-doubt as a leader, whether I could lead a team of people or whether my brand could survive or whether we would have the cash flow to purchase new products. I wish I would have had a guide along the way that would have made getting around those obstacles a little bit easier. So for our fellow listeners, those of you who are hitting similar plateaus and want to know the next steps to take your business to the next level, then go to ecombreakthrough.com, that's ecom with two M's to learn more. And as a special bonus to my podcast listeners, this month I'm giving away one $10,000 comprehensive business strategy audit session at no cost. All you need to do is email me at josh at ecombreakthrough.com and in your subject line, say strategy audit and then plead your case as to why I should choose you and your brand to work with for this month. But today I am super excited to introduce you all to Jamie Davidson. Jamie is an Amazon coach and co-founder of AMZ Insiders. In 2018, he crossed the nine-figure mark selling products online through Amazon FBA. Jamie is also a West Point graduate and a former Army officer and was the CEO of a private equity-backed company until 2013. Jamie now invests a lot of effort into helping new and upcoming entrepreneurs hit six and seven figures on Amazon through his AMZ Insiders course. And he also guides seven and eight figure entrepreneurs to help them exit their brands. With that introduction, welcome to the show, Jamie. Hey, Josh. Appreciate it. Yeah, great to be here. Jamie, hitting that nine figure mark, that's a pretty big deal. You know, we talk about, you know, going from seven to eight figures and beyond on this podcast. And you're the guy who's gone way beyond, right? You've hit that nine figures. Um, I'm curious, why don't you tell us a little bit more about that journey of of getting to nine figures and maybe some high level lessons learned. Yeah. So, you know, everything is, you know, uh, a number is a number, but the, the kind of the strategies or the approach probably can be applied, whether you're looking to go from, you know, trying to get to nine figures or a lot of people we know, or let's say maybe low seven figures and trying to get to eight figures. And that might be the, the toughest part through it. So I can share a little bit about, but a lot of the lessons are, are very similar. Uh, in our case, back in, uh, 2012, 2013, early days we were beginning, we were selling uh, in the cell phone accessory space. So cell phone cases, actually originally iPad cases was was kind of our, our really big thing. And there was a early opportunity. So there was a, a good window of opportunity with my my next door neighbor at the time. I was, uh, uh, like I said, an executive for a private equity backed 
company. And so it was like, oh, what's this side hustle that we're doing? He's doing out of the garage. And then I quickly realized like, oh, this is like garage is like filling up with a lot of stuff and it's, it's taken off from there. So um, without going into all those details at the beginning, but essentially we had a business that got to, you know, it was a little different back then where we got to $10 million. We basically got to eight figures within a very short period of time, like within two years. But if you want to talk to like uh, kind of fast forwarding, and, and we, again, I'm sure we may dive back to some of that stuff. But um, at this point, as the team grew out here in Atlanta, Georgia with warehouse, and we had about, uh, about 20 employees at the time, essentially the business kind of stagnated at a few different levels. Um, at about kind of the $40 million mark, we, we were stagnated for a while. Uh, we actually did a small acquisition that helped get us to 20 million. Um, and then we got to kind of like the 50 to $60 million mark. And we kind of stood there for about a three-year period, um, which again, Mace, it's like, hey, it's a lot of money. but of course, it depends on your margins and how much you know, where the business is, or if you have issues or lawsuits or whatever the case may be. So your margins were were differed by a year. But essentially, uh, to get to that next level, we had to make a change. But uh, so yeah, we we basically implemented a bunch of stuff. I'm happy to go into to some of it as you think is relevant. But we basically made a strategic change to go from that plateau we're at to then within about three years later to break the nine figure mark. Yeah, that's amazing. And I know before we hit the record button on this podcast, we talked about, you know, some of those strategies of what helped you kind of get to that nine figures. And really, it just in general, not even just nine figures itself, but helping scale brands from wherever you're at to get to that next level from six to seven, from seven to eight. Right. It's all about kind of the systems and the processes. Um, that you're able to implement. And there's different systems that you'll implement at different times in your in your business. But Jamie, let's talk about that. Let's talk about what were some of those changes and I think the systems really that you applied into your business to where you were stagnating around 50 million to then explode to cross that $100 million mark. Yeah, so it's interesting, a couple of things. It was like, so my partner, Jason, again, who I, if some of you guys, if you've heard any of her background in the past, uh, he was my next door neighbor. He's a native from, from China, was in the US for about 30 years. And he was a software consultant. And again, I was like this hired gun uh, CEO. Another deal was a, a chief operating officer, then a chief and a CEO of these, these private equity firms where they would hire me, drop me into these companies they bought to, to either turn them around or to grow them. Um, so this Amazon thing was different, but, but a lot of the fundamental principles apply, especially as you get to bigger scales. Because the businesses I was a part of before were were much bigger. I didn't have a lot of startup experience. I'd been more kind of big corporations. And so, so a couple of things helped us. One, he had a, uh, he, he was a software consultant. So he basically for Microsoft or, or using Microsoft systems or, or, and Oracle systems. So we had that mindset going in, which helped us uh, early on, which was that the way we knew is like, Hey, we're not necessarily experts on any given product, but we understand systems. We understand data really well. And, uh, and we're good enough to recognize that, you know, we need to become good at product and we need to understand uh, how that works. But so even from the beginning, we were, we were pretty good at that in terms of setting up systems. That's part of the reason we were able to scale to even eight figures so quick. Um, we set up, we used, and it's different now, but you know, we used, it's still in existence. Like, so we use NetSuite pretty much to customize all aspects of our business because uh, in Jason's case, that was his expertise. Mm. Uh, so we essentially, you know, set up a, a, a process and a software process um, outside of what, you know, Amazon had for, for every aspect of our business. And we can go into some of those things, but, um, so whether it's logistics or whether it's, um, obviously logistics is, is a, is a big one, but, uh, 
eventually even became, you know, as we expand product. But the two things that really changed uh, that allowed us to kind of break through to that next growth level was we decided to really build a team. So uh, we had a team, again, about 20 people, eventually about 30, 40 people here. Uh, and even that team was growing even bigger. Um, this, we actually built the entire team over in China. So Jason moved to China during these periods of time and we built a, a large team. So you don't have to do it the same way. Uh, obviously he's from China, speaks Mandarin, so it worked well. But basically we built a 200 plus person team in Shenzhen, China, that's wow. still in existence. And uh, so, which was unique. It helped us because the, the cost of the employee was about a third of what we were paying here in Atlanta. Uh, the retention of the employee was much greater. And, uh, and the other thing that helped in China, and I think this probably exists in the Philippines a little bit, but I haven't done it at a scale, is there, there's like in a whole economy of people around Amazon. Uh, so the, the ability to hire people in the Amazon space, like if we needed a fluent French speaking person that had experience in Amazon, we could actually hire that in a week here in Atlanta. You know, it was very difficult. We had to train everyone mm -hmm. up on Amazon. So, uh, so the first one was definitely the, the, the team building. Uh, and we can, uh, we can dive into that around there. And the second one was, um, was the product side too, because we actually had never, we, I think it was one of our strengths. We never left the cell phone accessory space, you know, up to about the $60 million mark. So hence we were one of the biggest players in the U S in that space, but we never went into another category until after that. Um, and I can talk about some of the reasons why we stayed so focused in our lane um, until we felt like it was time to, to go to the next level. I love that. There's so much that we can break down there, Jamie. Um, let's talk about first, you know, the, the team building aspect of it. So talk about, you know, 200 people. What were the different roles um, and departments? And maybe that's probably the best place to start, right? Is what were the core departments that you had? Um, because you also talked about, you know, having an ERP system. So you mentioned, you know, everything was running through NetSuite. So if people aren't familiar with NetSuite, basically, what is that at a high level, Jamie? Yeah. So NetSuite, which is owned by Oracle, is basically a, a tool that you can leverage, uh, I guess, compared to in some ways, you know, if you guys are familiar with like Salesforce, uh, essentially, it's the ability to to connect and automate, you know, every aspect of your business, but have a uh, certainly a database on your end. Uh, again, whether it's everything you get from Amazon, whether it's your sales or uh, it could be customer data reviews pulling into it. It could be uh, your personnel. So kind of every aspect of our business, we uh, try to connect into our own kind of data warehouse or data mart, you know, outside of uh, out external systems that we don't own like Amazon and, and other platforms. Yeah. So it kind of helps like plug everything together, big enterprise um, system. Yep. So that's the first portion. Tell me about the, the overall team structure then. What were the different departments that you had that you hired that really helped kind of escalate? Yeah. Things? So, so yeah, it goes back. I was starting to say about, you know, what is the reason why besides that we wanted to grow more, but what's the reason why we didn't just keep building the team here in Atlanta. And we still, uh, you know, our warehouse down the road, it's about 15 minutes from where I'm now, you know, we've got, you know, right now it's, it's about a 30, it's about a 35,000 square foot warehouse. And, you know, there's warehouse guys all through that place. And that's kind of a, a little bit of a staging area for us. Um, we fulfill some international orders and we also sell on a lot of other platforms besides Amazon. So it's essentially our own 3PL. Uh, and again, we, when we started this too, there wasn't really, you know, 3PLs, other people wear it. So we had to do it all of ourselves anyways. If I was doing it again today, I'd probably, 
uh, you know, probably would not necessarily build our own or, or lease out our own warehouse and build the team and manage uh, the team. But so we have to have that in the U.S. So what we figured out is what things do we need here and what things do we not? And so the challenge, for example, an easy one is, let's say, our marketing team. So all of our marketing team was always here. So PPC management, uh, the listing optimization, the, uh, you know, any kind of besides people. Again, we're we're good sized business. So we're working with Amazon. We did a lot on the vendor central side as well, too. Um, so we're managing all of that here. And what happens a lot of times when we were hiring people is, first of all, they're fairly expensive. Like we pay, got to pay, let's say, $55,000 for uh, a marketing person here. And that has no experience with Amazon, but you know they have some other experience in the in the marketplace here. We train them up. They want to get, of course, they want to get paid more money, and often we can't retain them because they've they've developed these skills, and now they want to go, you know, make eighty thousand or a hundred thousand, um, and uh, or they're just like not as focused. You know, it's a, they're just not interested in the in what it takes here. So part of it was understanding, you know, there's a retention ability and and the cost of it. The other one is just you know we're going to grow out the team is, yeah, what do we need for the team? And so to your question there, uh, a couple things is, and this obviously depends on your product, but in our case, our product, you know, part of the beauty of our product is, well, it's not a consumable that you order every month. It is a consumable that periodically, uh, you know, pretty much every, at least every couple, two years, most people are upgrading their phone if they're otherwise just buying new devices. And so we had this built-in cycle, right? Every time there's a new iPhone launch, a new Galaxy, et cetera, that there's this, massive launch. And so for us, product development is a really big deal. So we had uh, basically built out a 20, 20 plus person product development team. Um, and again, all based in China. And I'd say anytime I'm saying based in China, what I would say for anyone else is, again, consider other markets, you could do the same thing. It doesn't need to be China. Like I said, maybe it's the Philippines um, or maybe it's, you know, maybe it's Costa Rica or somewhere else. Uh, but, or for development, maybe it's Ukraine around certain things. But uh, so that was big for us because we kind of made ourselves, we forced ourselves to view ourselves as a product development company that if we came out with good products, good designs, we knew we'd have the systems and everything else. You know, the, the Amazon model is amazing. So we knew we could, we would uh, be really successful. But for us, product was, was, you know, first and foremost, because it's a very competitive industry that we're in. It's that and supplements are like the two most competitive spaces. So, you know, we had to have creative design. So it's like the equivalent of you know, top college graduates in the U.S., like out of like you know, here in Atlanta, it's like Georgia Tech. We basically have graphic designers and people, if you go over there, big monitors with all sorts of crazy designs and for so on. So that's unique to the, you know, our products. And so you know, that's one element. The other one approach we had, this was interesting and now at scale is interesting is whether you know, we have so many partners that want to manage things for you. So like obviously PPC, there's a lot of great agencies out there and everything else. Um, we never outsourced our PPC. So there are certain things we want to keep in-house and, and we've had some discussions with some of the biggest players out there. We always felt like we wanted our eyes on everything. So we have a really big uh, kind of PPC slash account management team. And uh, that's like time it was like 40, but probably close to 50 people managing wow. like eyes on individual listings accountable for uh, what's going on. So, you know, it, it's a little bit nuanced in terms of what's pure PPC, what's kind of like account or listing optimization. Uh, but those two, those two are, are big. Uh, just because, again, we just never felt we could completely automate it. And it was such a big factor. Um, there's a bit of an art and science to it. Like when we're getting ready for a rollout, the iPhone is coming out. Our, we're willing to spend more on our A cost to get a certain rank and, and so forth. So I'll, I'll pause there. But, you know, we can, uh, 
I can continue on more of the team as, as needed. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is so juicy. Um, I think the product development is so key, right? And I think we'll double down on that because that is the lifeblood, I think, of any business. And then, you know, the 40 to 50 account managers, PPC managers, uh, you know, I'm a big believer in that as well, doing it internally. We formerly had an agency that was doing our PPC ads. And to be honest with you, like we have 1,200 SKUs and there's just not enough time in the day for them to care. At the end of the day, they're just trying to make sure that the ACOS is somewhat in line, tacos is okay, so that when they show up and present my report, it doesn't look bad, right? That's their job. As long as it doesn't look bad, they'll keep me around. But they're not fully optimizing everything that possibly could. They're not looking at my keyword ranks. They weren't looking at, hey, here are the next opportunities for growth. It was just, let me keep the lights on for you, right? And so I think that that is something that although it can be time consuming and there is some some learning uh, and growing pains in order to bring that internally. But I think those two things that you just touched on product development and then your PPC management, listing management, like those are, I think, the core essentials that any Amazon business like they need to internalize all of those systems if you want to really like get every, you know, squeeze the juice out of every lemon that you possibly can. You've got to do that internally. Would you agree with that, Jamie? Yeah, I mean, hundred percent. You know, it's it's funny. I thought of an analogy, and it doesn't apply just to Amazon. It's kind of as an entrepreneur through business. Just what you said it reminded me of it. There, there is, and I, I've heard a, a cruder way of describing this analogy, but I'll I'll go with uh, one that's more fitting to me, which is like there's they say like in your personal life, there's there's a lot of things that are not worthwhile for for you to do, like as especially as you get busier and you make more money, your the time, the value of your money goes up, or sorry, the value of your time goes up. So maybe, maybe cleaning your house or maybe help cooking or maybe whatever it is, it makes sense to outsource things or let's say your yard work, right? So those things make sense. But like taking your wife out on a date, like you don't want to outsource that, right? So <laughs> like, so, you know, using that extreme example, like there's certain parts of your business that should be kind of, kind of what you were alluding to that, even if it's like not your core expertise personally, you should try to find a way to to have it internal as much as possible because it's just what you described. And I've lived and learned this experience uh, and failed enough times where a lot of times where it's something you don't, that's kind of painful, it's hard, you want to outsource and hope it's going to be a magic bullet. And you always realize, because it's just what you said, no one's going to care more about your business than you and or you and your team. And so it's just, it's just difficult. So yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, a hundred percent, you find that balance of trying to like, you know, you don't want them to be in the stone ages where they're doing everything manually, but you try to find ways to augment their productivity as opposed to shift the responsibility outside your organization. Yeah. And, and I think that there's a, a time and a place for everything, right? It's like, okay, you might be able to, you know, offload something to an agency to begin with, but you better have a plan of how I'm going to bring this in internally. Right. And that was always the thing that we had is like, in the back of my mind, I knew that PPC would be best optimized with our own internal team. But let me give this to an agency to at least get it good enough to where we could build out the rest of the team and then start bringing things internally. So it is kind of stepping stones there, but I yeah, like yeah. your uh, analogy. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, yeah, and I've, like I said, in the, it's interesting. I've just learned that in pieces. And again, even if we were talking about podcasts earlier, like personally, I just like to learn enough to be dangerous for something. So it's not that I want to become a podcast expert. But I want to know enough. So if we do have someone externally, we know the right questions to ask. Uh, and like I said, it's 
you have the right oversight. Otherwise, you, you can't do it. Um, the other thing I'll add to that we did, uh, again, because of the size of the team, we did hire more senior managers too. So we basically hired, uh, basically called them GMs. So we had like three general managers that we hired over there. So we had like a GM ahead of just of, of uh, product design as well too. Basically, we had the, the head of marketing over there. Uh, and then we had an overall kind of country GM who they kind of tied into as well that was managing. Because, you know, when you start scaling, if you guys are at, I mean, you mentioned 1,200 SKUs, right? We had, uh, you know, we had a little over 2,000 SKUs. So when you're dealing with that number of people, then there just becomes a lot more, um, again, you have to have an HR department. You got to manage the team. And so mm -hmm. there was, uh, there was certainly on the ground leadership that, that we have over there to this day um, in order to make, make all this work. Let's keep diving a little bit further into that team structure then. So we talked about product development team, PPC account management team. What other teams and departments did you have set up? Yeah, so there's also a uh, logistics team. So the logistics team, uh, and again, I guess the number doesn't really matter because you should just hire the number of people that, that makes sense. And over time, you know, you can hopefully can do more with less. Uh, and so, you know, again, the numbers aren't necessarily apples to apples for what's needed for, for someone else. But, you know, so we had a 20 plus person logistics team uh, because when, you know, we're selling in, you know, we're selling in marketplaces globally, obviously uh, amazon.com, the U S was, was big for us, but we're pretty much in every market that we could be in. Uh, we're also selling um, on other platforms. We recently used like channel advisor, but we've been with Walmart for a long time. We had uh, retail. We've kind of gone back and forth with retail to go in or, go out of different places like Best Buy or Lowe's. But anyways, all of that requires each of those, you know, whether it's a, whether you're Amazon or off Amazon or Amazon within different countries requires a lot of coordination, um, obviously to get the product where it needs to be, whether it's going to Amazon, whether it's going to, uh, uh, you know, a warehouse or going to our warehouse here. So a lot of that. So we had that team there, but we also had where it makes sense. We kept the teams in the U.S. too. So we have a logistics team here in the U.S. that's on the, on this side that manages okay. this side. And so um, again, where the pieces where we thought we needed both on the China side and the U S was really the logistics side. Um, and then on the marketing side as well too. So we, again, this 20 person team, the marketing side over there to uh, so some of it may be design like the, you know, any of the graphic design or how the product's going to look, but there's also an element of the language and how things are presented, the copy. So all of that, we have a process. That goes from the China team. It goes to the U.S. team. The U.S. team has final review of everything because of the the native language nuances and yeah. uh, you know how bad it can be if if you're off not just in English but if you're selling in any country and if you don't understand the the proper uh, English or the proper proper language. So yeah, so we basically have redundancies in certain areas of the business where it makes sense. So like logistics, big over there, but we also have that here in the U.S. Uh, the marketing, what we, what we did not have in China, but we kept here in the U.S. was all of the influencer and social media marketing mm. aspect because we felt okay. like that was an area that um, really the, our China team just wasn't equipped to, be, uh, to understand it, to be as effective at it compared to our team here in the U.S. So, you know, instead of a big marketing team in the U.S., we had a smaller, you know, a group of like four or five people here that were working with all the influencers, YouTube you know, Instagram, all those things. But we felt that was more, much more important to be, you know, U.S. facing uh, within the within the market. Yeah, makes makes a lot of sense. 
what were some of the key drivers of revenue for you, right? If you could boil down everything, which, I mean, you had so much going on. You're selling globally into multiple marketplaces, right? Um, you're also, you've got a marketing team that's doing influencer campaigns. You've got new product development. What would you say was like one of the most important levers um, out of the entire business? Yeah, and so I always think of like the period of Amazon, it, it changes in terms of like, the tactics, right? So the tactics of what you could use. Uh, and so kind of transparently, and I've shared this before, like it was definitely the Wild West. We talk about Black Hat and things like that. That was like the standard operating process. Um, mm. And again, we're kind of like, we're a US, we're a US-based company, but we're, have my fellow the founders are Chinese as well too. So the tactics were very aggressive. If people think of Chinese tactics and we were competing against the, the most, it was the most competitive people in the space. Uh, early in the days, think Amazon, like we're way ahead of Amazon. Like they don't understand the tactics that you're doing, but they also have strict rules around certain things. Like you couldn't have any multiple accounts back then. And yeah. so, uh, you know, so a lot of the things that happened in the space and you guys have heard of things, it was a lot of the top players were people that had um, software backgrounds, computer science backgrounds, because there was like intense, painful process we'd go to, to launch a product where we had a hundred computers buying our product. We had like, all through VPNs, like there was just, <laughs> in, you know, so it was all very kind of quote unquote against Amazon's terms of service, not stuff that we can do today or anyone should, should recommend doing, although it still does go on. But literally that was across the board. Every competitor was doing it. So it was, it was kind of crazy. We've met with Amazon. I remember at the CS conference and told them like, Hey, if we followed all of your rules, we wouldn't have had a business. And they're like, yeah, we know. So, uh, but cause you know, we're just, we were, not say we, but people were just figuring stuff out ahead yeah. of time. So the reason I, I bring that up is the tactics were what helped us is that we could continually adapt and understood what the next kind of wave brought to us. But to your question, you know, one of the approaches, and I remember my partner, Jason, was always good about this. So if we talked about branding, like how we're going to brand like the name of our product or whatever, mm -hmm. we knew with the Amazon platform, like we did not, you know, we did not give a damn about brand and all we want to do is just sell our, the way we're going to build our brand is we're going to sell a crap load of our product. Yeah. It's going to be good. And the platform does it. So it's not like a traditional business. And in other ways, we didn't want to spend money. The other thing we did is we really didn't want to focus, even though we, we basically had a guy that with a small, very small team that managed Walmart, managed the other platforms. We wanted like hundred percent of the focus really to be on the Amazon platform as much as possible. We didn't care that our margins were higher on our own website. Uh, what we cared about was the, the keyword rank and the volume and the reward we got from, from Amazon for, for yeah. being that. And so I think strategically that, that helped us, but then tactically, yeah, it changed like the influencer stuff. We didn't do that until, uh, I mean, actually around the hundred, we basically didn't figure that out until like 2018 was when we pivoted and started, you know, going, going to that approach. But mm. the, you know, I think nowadays we're talking about like tactically it's, you know, it's, it's a lot more about in, in different way about external traffic. And we can talk about, some of these things, but it's just, it's in a different way than we did it back originally. Like there was a period of time where Google worked and then a lot of the external traffic didn't work as well. And now Amazon has a different perspective. They, they want more external traffic. Um, and they're, they're making sure that it uh, doesn't all go to Shopify. So yep. again, certainly the, the tactics today are, are different, but yeah, no, the, the big lever for us was, was establishing this keyword rank and Q4 was like, like we kind of viewed the most of the year that we were planting our, our little seed. And then we were just harvesting from, you know, October to sometimes we turn PPC off during, during Q4 and we we're just raking in the profits as much mm. as possible through that last period. 
Fascinating. Fascinating. You also touched on, you know, the two big things that you said, you know, kind of grew your business from that 50 million to that nine figure mark was team building. We talked about that. And then product development. Tell me a little bit more about why did you have a team of 20 plus people just focused on product development? Why do you feel like that was such an important factor in that growth to 100 million plus? Yeah. So even though we didn't have, you know, a background, uh, actually, our third partner with us was was with Coca-Cola, was a uh, was a pretty good product guy. But it was interesting. We did develop our and I think anyone can do this of your own product, right? Your own, say your own cell phone case. And the, th- the thing about our product is it has to be perfect, meaning like if it doesn't fit right, if the specs are a little bit off, it's kind of useless, right? If it doesn't fit, then then it's no good. And so what was also unique is uh, so Amazon is, or Amazon, sorry, Apple specifically was, was very secretive about what the new product was that was coming out. Right. And we're providing, you know, we're trying to, the day they announce their, their new iPhone or any other phone that's out there, we need to have a, it's a race to who has the product ready to go first. Uh, and so a little behind the scenes area. So there was a, uh, again, there's a million plus people in China working probably more than that now working specifically on, on the iPhone to produce it and create it there. Uh, and so there's a black market to be able to pay to get access to understand the exact specs of what the new phone is going to be. Yep. And, you know, we paid, I think, uh, to get like a real iPhone, I think it costs like $80,000 to get one for like four hours of the specs. Interesting. Like, you could get a, a, a model of it, not an actual one, but just like a mock-up of it for like, I don't know, $15,000. But so just I put that in context of like how important our product has to be. Um, if, if it's a surprise and we're wrong, like initially, then we're screwed because what we gave the manufacturer, uh, if it's the wrong size and feature. So, so that's one aspect is just making sure your product is, is functional. The other one is, which I think is probably more applicable, is just for anyone who's selling product, again, is how you're differentiating your product. And so in our product case, like uh, first, we were pretty kind of male driven. Our designs were more, uh, we found we had more men customers. And then some of our competitors had like, you know, they're turning the iPhones into or the cases into like a really high end purse, you know, like or jewelry or accessories and all these things. So essentially, it's like you needed a design team to come up with all these possibilities for your product. And uh, when you find winning designs, it's like it's very lucrative. Right. So like and it's not just this. So we got into like Nintendo switch cases, something like that. And when you make you know a product that's really, really good, the market rewards you. So it had a lot to do with, yeah, differentiating um, understanding. I mean, we would be very critical of our own product and just like, you know, Hey, this isn't good enough. Send it back. Um, a lot of it, some of it's guessing and testing. We have products that we have plenty of products that we thought were going to be home runs and, and didn't quite take off. And then we have some others we were like, Oh, that did better than, than we expected, especially as we got into some of the other categories. Very interesting. And, and I think is one of the overall takeaways is that it was kind of like you're testing new markets, right? It was, we didn't just stay here. You mentioned like we stayed here in this specific accessories niche for a while, and then we started to expand. Tell me about that aspect. And was that a big component? Of yeah, so as well? yeah. yeah. So we say like, you know, we have a few thousand different SKUs is be- just within that category is because, again, a couple of reasons. One is our product. So let's say the iPhone 6. Well, some people still own the iPhone 6. So even years later, like, you know, an adapter for the iPhone 6, we can still carry. Obviously, the sales go down. and But, you know, obviously, there's cables and there's endless type of things you can have. So um, one of the brands we bought earlier was another, it was another case business that was a little more female. 
generated and it became actually became bigger than our other other brand. But it was such a big opportunity that we didn't want to, you know, there's something called, you know, diversifying. There's also a phrase called uh, diversifying. So sometimes you can you diversify too soon or try to go after other markets too soon versus being like going really deep, really focused. The reason we went so deep is because the Amazon platform is crazy that we could sell in the US, we could sell in Canada, we could become, we're just a local, you know, we're just some lo- few people here that built a team that is now a global business and, and in a very short period of time that we didn't want to overly complicate it with to go into the pet space, which we didn't really have yeah. a specific idea. The way, the way we did it, and you, you can do it now faster. You know, I know people that launched three brands in three different uh, categories from the get-go strategically and then, you know, exit those brands. Uh, that wasn't really the focus any either. There wasn't like, we didn't know if these businesses were sellable or any of that stuff. So, you know, we were building these for, to grow and to, to uh, kind of cash flow more so than as an asset. But the, uh, the way we got into it is when, is when it made sense is a lot of times we had so many people approaching us about business ideas and offers. So for example, the first category we went to was pets besides our main one. And the way that came about was another person in our neighborhood, Chinese native, uh, his family uh, owns a manufacturing for like the pet for the poop bags over there. Mm-hmm. So we did a deal with them. And so it's like, all right, so we have an edge because we have a manufacturer we're doing a deal with. Um, it wasn't super lucrative at first. Like we were kind of break even for like a year. But then once we got into that market, then it was just, uh, you know, then it was just recurring revenue and recurring profit. And because people order those, you know, they're a, they're a consumable, those products. So um, so in other words, when we got into different products, eventually we got into fitness. We got a, it was, we had some idea and angle and we did have the team in place. Going back to the team, we have a, a team that's researching the market and going out up making a proposal um, and deciding which, you know, uh, the branding, you know, what's the brand going to be if we go in the fitness space. It just became much more systematized. And um, I would say it's not that we put the odds in our favor. It wasn't that 100% of products would be successful, but, you know, more times than not, we were going to succeed. I love that. I think the key word that you talked about there is, you know, you had things systematized, right? And so it was, hey, yeah, we could venture into these other categories now because we've systematized things because we went so deep. We learned all the ins and outs. Now let's go replicate that. Now, I think, Jamie, let's kind of peel it all back now and come back to reality, because I think, you know, for entrepreneurs like myself, I'm not at nine figures. And I'm thinking like, wow, those are some massive teams to have to orchestrate everything that you just talked about. Mm -hmm. So let's boil it down to really the ideal, you know, client that you're currently serving and coaching right now Mm -hmm. are those six, seven and even eight figure businesses that want to scale. So how do you take all of the great knowledge that you just shared now to say, all right, here's how that looks to move a business from seven figures to eight figures and beyond. These are the systems that I would focus on. Tell me more about how this all relates to growing a seven to eight figure business. Yeah. So a couple of things come to mind because I think of things that are just different, how we look at things versus, versus then is one is because the market, you know, there's software provided, there's masterminds, there's all this, there's a whole ecosystem that's been created within the Amazon community. Um, we did everything in secret, right? So no one knew who we were. We're just in this warehouse. Um, we didn't network very much with people. And so now you have this opportunity, of course, to, to connect and, and, you know, really dial into out there. And it's part of the reason, um, like, I believe that, you know, it's not that one person is the expert or guru, but tapping into, uh, figure out where your core companies are, but leverage a lot of the other uh, resources out there and people out there. 
that you can pull in to help figure out, you know, how you want to get there. Uh, as far as the, the specifics in terms of going from it, you know, it's also like, Hey, what's the current environment? What the reason we've been successful, we, we could always reinvent our strategies every year. It wasn't that because, you know, how you got reviews in 2015, where you could like pay someone to say, as long as I left a fair and honest review, unbiased review, even though it was totally paid for, um, you know, that went away. People think, Oh no, I can't do that. And then there's a new, there's always new ways. So part of the reason I say you want to be plugged into people. Um, and again, I can name, there's a, there's a group of people that I really like and trust in different elements of the business that I think are, are good that you want to constantly be able to just be able to plug into like, I need to get reviews in 2023 or 2024, you know, how does that work now? And there's, it's, um, so that's one thing. And the other one is, you know, it, a lot of it's just the unsexy fundamentals, which are the same in terms of, you know, systematizing things. And you got to find out stuff that you're spending a lot of time on that, uh, there's this natural tendency to things like, well, you know, they can't do it as well as I can do, but you've got to really challenge yourselves to, to invest the time to take things off your plate so that they can be, they can be automated, but you know, happy to go in any, any specifics as, as uh, worthwhile. Yeah. What are some of the actionable strategies that you've seen? And maybe do you have any case studies that you could share with some of the, the people that you've coached? Sure. Where you help them implement certain strategies that really help them, you know, scale their business faster. Yeah. So, so one gal, uh, woman with me now, uh, Joey Roberts has come aboard part of our team. Joey went from zero to a million in like or a little over a million in, in 12 months. Uh, I say with us, I mean, it's really there's a lot of really cool things. We did, but one of the, the big things, um, and I also know this from also helping people exit their business and sell their business, is you know, margins are so critical in your business. And so one thing Joey did really well, which is this focus, and she talks about this, and she took it to the extreme a little bit, is like she wanted to profit at least $100 in every unit sold with her product. Mm -hmm. That was the mindset she came in with, which is, it takes a little bit of a unique product. So you can do that, meaning she was selling the product for $250 to uh, $300. Um, but she achieved that. So she got to that part. Um, and then the other one, what I found with people that are successful, that are selling stuff is the inventory management, right? So they, a lot of people screw that up all the time. So, you know, I, I, I've told a lot of people we've helped to, you know, the, my three golden rules are never run out of stock, never run out of stock and never run out of stock. Um, and most people, ourselves included. Uh, so you've got to really focus on that aspect of the business and understand it. Uh, not just from an Amazon, you got to understand the retail game of how turning inventory, the return on investment of that cash, how that works. So you got to put a lot of time, especially, you know, for that seven to eight figure mark, you've got to get that part dialed in. Uh, and again, there are some more tools now and, and people helping you solve it, but you lose a lot of money for a lot of reasons, including your keyword rank, um, anytime you, you run out of stock. Uh, so that'd be a big one. The other one I'd say is just obviously the time, you know, listen to us, obviously AIs, there's a lot of stuff going on there, but it's not that AI is a magic bullet, but look at what tools could help make your team better around that. So for AI, you know, there's, there's plenty of tools out there now to help you. For example, like challenge your mind to think about any aspect of your business and how you can leverage AI for it. So for example, like SOPs and systems, all right, what are the best tools and processes out there that can help write great SOPs or have your team or your virtual assistants do this and do it, you know, at a 10 X rate than what they did without it. Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the key takeaways, especially on the AI front, um, and I continue to tell my team this, is that, hey, ChatGPT isn't going to be here to replace anybody's job. It's to actually make everything you're doing that much better and that much quicker so that we can continue to just 
scale without, you know, you can just get a lot more done. But here's the key thing that I tell them. Chat GPT brings you all the ideas and also things that you never would have considered. And it can also streamline things and put it together more quickly. But at the end of the day, a human needs to oversee that process, make sure that the prompt going in is kind of going to lead to the end result that you're looking for. And then secondly, with the response that you get back, whether it's writing a blog article or responding to an email or whatever you have it set up to do, you need to make sure that that's dialed in and that, hey, add in the extra context that you need to. It's not just a, hey, my emails are now on autopilot. Whenever somebody emails me, AI shoots them an email. I can only imagine the the, the mess that, that would go out because it's like, wait, did, did you actually pay attention? So I think that's the key thing. Is there any other like high level things that you've learned with using AI? Yeah, I mean, that analogy gave is just kind of just what I described, even with our team in China versus US. Like we don't say, oh, China team, you guys handle all the marketing and push it out and hopefully it looks good enough. Like, no, we need a US person to review for the US market that this actually mm-hmm. makes sense and works. Uh, you know, what I found is, you know, and this stuff's moving so quick. So as you're listening, but things like tra- tra- trainable AI is really interesting. So things like customer service, I think is super, you know, to me that if it can learn, Basically, so it can really learn about you, your company, your brand in a way to represent. Again, I always think not 100% of the solution, but if it can help resolve 80% people. So things like customer service, I think is a massive one. Obviously, anything content creation is, uh, is super powerful. Again, as long as you have your eyes on it to review it. Uh, chat GPT or AI tools, sometimes they lie. Sometimes they make mistakes. So they're not these perfect, perfect humans. They're these extremely powerful things. But sometimes, depending how you prompt it, whatever else, it may go astray. So all all the more reason you got to do it. But I mean, there are some absolutely amazing things, though, specific, like, let's say your podcast, if a tool can make it sound perfect, well, in that case, like, boom, there's a simple use case. I'm going to implement that all the time. If it can help me create a certain, you know, a certain tool or an SOP, you know, I'm going to do that. But mostly, like you said, I'm going to try to make my VAs and my team, make them super VAs, make them super team members so that we can all be more productive, we can all make more money. What are ways that you think that human intelligence is still going to be required? Talking about, you know, the specific, you know, you've got logistics, you've got product development, we talked about PPC management, um, listing optimization, <laughs> like what role does AI play? And then what role do humans need to end up playing, you know, as we try to predict what the future looks like a year or two from now with how quick things are moving? Yeah. So I think, I mean, the easiest one that comes to mind is just in terms of how do you put everything together, the strategy, um, like anything in life, if everyone has access to something, right, then, you know, ChatGPT by itself is not a competitive advantage because anyone can use it, right? So it becomes, well, how do you use it differently? And with AI tools like ChatGPT or, or MidJourney, which does the, the images, you know, a lot of it's, of course, is the prompting what you're going to put into and how it can be different or more complex than, than how someone else does it. But beyond that, it's like, you know, how to think about how to put the pieces together from a strategy perspective in terms of your company. That doesn't really change uh, because AI is not a magic bullet for that. The other thing too, like AI, they can handle a lot of stuff quickly, but even, even uh, content, if you give a, a content too long, it gets very complex quickly and it can, it, it likes to deal with things a little bit smaller. And so if you talk about your entire Amazon business and components, like, again, you're going to need to drill in on those. So it may be in a couple of years, this will change, but 
personally, I think you should have the exact same kind of strategic mindset of every aspect of your business and then just drill in there. You know, like AI is not new. It's just at a different stage, obviously, right now. But, you know, companies like Quartile, they've been touting AI for the last couple of years. So it's kind of a vague term, but it's more about specifically, you know, where it can be really, really powerful. I mean, certainly things like listing optimization, some of those things almost become commodities because every Amazon software tool is going to have that built in because it's not hard to, yeah. to include it. Um, the other thing to keep in mind too is ChatGPT right now, the, the AI tools, most of them don't have access to the Amazon data. So there's still, you know, the Amazon API, like the core data from your account, uh, these tools don't necessarily know it unless, you know, as I'm sure it'll progress here, continue to progress. So you got to keep in mind that it can be helpful, but at the end of the day, where you're relying on your Amazon, either you need to connect it in there or, or manipulate it, or you need to, you know, not use AI in certain cases and still use uh, some of the traditional methods uh, outside of AI. Totally agree. Jamie, I appreciate all of your insights that you've shared with us today. Is there anything that we haven't necessarily touched on or anything else on the top of your mind that you think would help seven-figure businesses scale to eight figures and beyond based on your experience? Yeah, I, mean, I think the, the seven to eight figures, and again, you guys are there, so you know it, it's, it's hard, it's messy, um, but you've done the hard part, getting a successful product, so you can do it. That's why it becomes the less sexy stuff around, um, around products, around team building, uh, around really connecting into other people and you know, really leveraging other uh, people that are, have done it. So you know, I've got a lot of people in the industry, people like, uh, like Dima Kubra came and visited my warehouse. He's close to, I think he was at eight figures or close to time. He's like, I want to fly up and see your operation. Come on in. So you know, find people and vice versa. Like, he helps us with a ton of stuff because he's really, really smart. And so find people that you can, uh, you can connect with and, and look to help each other, give value and, and see if they can uh, give value back. That's probably been the big thing that's helped us the last couple of years. Awesome. Love that. That's great feedback. Now, Jamie, uh, I love to leave each episode with three actionable takeaways for our listeners. Here are the three actionable takeaways that I noted. You let me know if you think I'm missing something here. <laughs> But first of all, the key parts that you talked about with growing and exploding your business from that, you know, 50 million to 100 million came down to two things. And we'll take those as our kind of top two. Number one is building out your team. And you address this like as an entrepreneur, as you're growing from six to seven to eight figures, what you are working on in the business should continue to change. But what you need to do is you need to offload things off of your plate in steps, right? You're not going to wake up tomorrow and be like, I got to offload everything or I need to hire a CEO tomorrow. That's not, that's not necessarily the step. What you do need to do, conduct a time study, understand where you spend most of your time hmm. and then understand where is most of your time going and can that thing be done at least 80% as well if it's done by somebody else? If so, SOP that process. It might be tedious to begin with, but SOP it out and then hire somebody to take that load off your shoulders. Because if that happens, you now have an extra, let's say that took up 50% of your time. That opens up 50% more of your time to focus on other initiatives in the business to help it continue to grow. So that would be action item number one is like scaling out your team systematically. You're not going to have the 200 plus team members that Jamie talked about tomorrow, but over time, you can build that out. Action item number two is in product development. I don't think we could talk about that enough. 
Number one, it's not creating me too products. Number two, it's staying on top of trends that are coming up. In your aspect, it was, you know, what's the latest iPhone going to look like? And how do we pay for and get early access to this information so that we're ahead of the curve, right? So similarly, this should become a core focus in anybody's business. What are the upcoming trends? And how do I get access or knowledge about these upcoming trends? Because if you can get that first mover advantage, I mean, that can make a world of a difference. Um, Let alone that, it's continuing to refine your business because old products launched in 2018 are just, you know, there's increased competition, designs change, and what customers want changes over time. So you can't just rely on a SKU or multiple SKUs that have done well in the past for you. And then, and then finally, action item number three is focusing on your profit margin and inventory management, both of these together. Mm-hmm. I think wherever you're at in your stage of business, six figures, seven figures, eight figures, those are two ultra important aspects that you need to have dialed in. Do you have the profit margin you need to continue to reinvest in new products, right? And then making sure you're never going out of stock with all of that. And we could dive so much deeper in there. But uh, Jamie, those are my three takeaways for our listeners. Is there anything you think I'm missing here? Uh, no, I love those. Those those are big ones. And I think you uh, recapped it uh, really well. Awesome. All right, Jamie, let's get into my favorite three questions here that I ask every guest. Number one, what's been the most influential book that you've read and why? Yeah, so I think uh, there's there's so many main ones. I think one of the ones that's a little more nuanced is uh, I like a lot is Blue Ocean Strategies. Uh, Blue Ocean Strategies, it, it basically talks around that most people compete in the uh, the red ocean, which is like the uh, where the sharks are all eating each other. And so you really want to, ch- it's, it's a really kind of fun, easy book. Really challenge yourselves to find, like you're talking about, the key to growth is you can't rest on your laurels from years back in terms of your products is to always be looking for new opportunities where it's blue ocean. You don't have to worry about as much. You'll have some competition, but where it's so much smoother sailing and really try to challenge yourselves to find that because when you get the product right, you know, this business is so much easier. The part of the reason we grew so fast is because, you know, it was a blue ocean. There wasn't people really doing this stuff. And as it got more competitive and choppy, then you got to kind of, you can still do well and refine it. But the more you can find those products and opportunities that are uh, kind of blue ocean or kind of trending or unique ways to stay, you know, kind of build those moats, the uh, the better you'll do. So yeah, blue ocean strategies. Yeah, completely agree. Great recommendation. Question number two, what's been your most favorite productivity or software tool that you've been using that you think is a game changer? Yeah, I'll share one. This is one more recently, the last or two, which is uh, I'm a big fan of, uh, of Go High Level. Uh, so mm-hmm. if you guys have used the tools like uh, ClickFunnel, there's all sorts of tools for email management, and everything else, but uh, a really pretty clever tool in terms of putting together all of your email, your text messaging, landing pages, your uh, uh, bunch of other things that, you know, if you want content, course creations, websites, all this stuff, kind of all in one at a, at a reasonable, reasonable price. So yeah, uh, voice mail drops, like the ways you can follow up with customers pretty powerful stuff and doing it in a way that's uh, a lot cheaper than uh, a lot of the tools were in the past. Awesome. Go high level. Great recommendation. All right. Last question. Who is somebody that you admire or respect the most in the e-commerce space and why? All right. 
Am I allowed to name two people or do I got to keep it sure. one? Four? Yeah. Give it, give yeah, us, sorry. give us your, your yeah, I love both of these guys. so to one of them I mentioned before, um, who I said, uh, came up shortly after I, I met him at the billion dollar seller summit a few years back, we kind of hit it. It was the first, uh, event that Kevin King held there. And, and, uh, this guy, he was speaking, which is, uh, so Dima Kubrick was the final speaker, but when we got to know me, uh, you know, like two weeks later, he's like, Hey, can I fly up to, uh, to meet with you? So Dima, I think is one of the smartest people in the industry. He's uh, really fun, uh, has a good time with it, but he's built, he's really good at building businesses. Uh, so that's, that's one. Uh, I've been asked that by like the big aggregators in the room saying, you know, who do I think the smartest guy in the room is that they should know? And uh, Dima is the one I, uh, I pulled out. And then uh, the other one who's uh, I have a ton of respect for too is, is Carlos Alvarez. So Carlos and I, we both talked about the battle to nine figures back in the day, but you know, Carlos down in Miami, he's got a massive, you know, following and group, but I just really respect his approach to the industry and his humbleness, uh, his willingness to help. And so when I talk about earlier, try to give value to each other or find people you can do. It doesn't necessarily mean it has to be a mastermind. Um, he's an example of someone when we're together, I'll, I'll give him a couple tips and he'll be like, Oh my God, I'm going to implement that right away. And, and the guy will like, you know, he's given me so much to, to help me out too. So, uh, but yeah, Carlos and, and Dima are probably the, the two that come to mind first. Awesome. We've had Carlos recently on the podcast. He, he'll probably, his episode aired, I think, three or four episodes before yours. Perfect. Um, so people should definitely go back and, and take another listen to Carlos's episode. Great conversations and, and great recommendations. Now, Jamie, if people want to, you know, get to know you a little bit more, they want to follow your journey, they want to learn more about AMZ Insiders and your coaching services, where can people reach out to you? Yeah, I'll just give two ways. One is... uh Instagram is, is totally fine. You can feel free to DM me. I think if you, if you follow me, it's a little easier, but uh, that's Jamie Davidson uh, dot official. So on Instagram there. So love to hear from you. If, if you're interested in chatting, you want to get on a call, it's I'll, I'll give you it's amzinsiders.org slash apply. Uh, and essentially you book a call and uh, we'll chat with you and see if we're a good fit to help you out, whether it's uh, building your brand, scaling it, or if you're looking, you know, advice to how to exit, uh, We'll, we'll give you tips whether we end up, uh, we're a good fit to help you or not. Awesome. Well, Jamie, you're highly respected in the industry and I appreciate your time that you shared with us today. And thanks for your insights. Thank you, Josh. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Visit ecombreakthrough.com for more information. If you've enjoyed today's episode, the best way you can show your appreciation is by clicking the subscribe button and quickly leaving a review. See you again next time.